0: you ready for the word? Amen. Take your Bibles out if you would, please. I'm going to be in the book of Numbers chapter 16 this morning. Uh, I'm continuing this series we've been doing for quite some time now on the spiritual insight from the life of Moses. Um, I had no idea there was so much to preach on when I started this series. And the more I dig, I started putting this sermon together and I realized there is no Way any human being could preach all this in one sermon. So I actually broke this up into two parts. Um, the title of the message this morning is "Pick a Stick." Because last week, if you were here, I, I taught on uh, the acacia wood. That remember the ark of the covenant. And everything in the tabernacle was made out of acacia wood, and uh, everything in the tabernacle all points to Jesus. Everything in there is a type in the shadow of Jesus Christ or what he will do in his ministry. And the acacia wood was a part of that. It's a, a, like an indestructible, very hard, sturdy wood that it grows out, the wood, out in, the, in the field by itself. It resists the wind and it's everything about it points to Jesus Christ. That he was There was no beauty in him that we should want him and he was rejected by men and et cetera and so forth. So get a copy of the message last week. I think it was a pretty good sermon. Even if I did preach it, amen. Come on, I'm feeling a little insecure here this morning. Somebody say amen. Made me feel like I'm a halfway decent preacher here, amen. But anyway, I talked last week about how we are kind of like that. And there's some trees that are straight, you know. They grew up in a very healthy environment, healthy home. They grow in the woods around their family. There are other seed trees that plant all those trees and other trees that are stressed. They're kind of like the acacia tree. They're, they experience stress their whole life. They're sitting out in the wind and it's blowing the, them around. And how the, when you cut that, you realize the wood is stressed and some wood is wounded. I talked about a trees on my property that I hit with a backhoe and every one of them diseased and died because they were wounded. And as uh, people are like that. Sometimes you get wounded and you got bitterness and unforgiveness and you just, it, it'll kill you. You know, some people are stunted. You know, they, they can't stay in one place long enough to grow. They're here and they're there and they're everywhere. And it stunts you. You know, if you keep cutting your roots and transplanting it somewhere, you're not going to grow. You need to stay put. Amen. Come on, somebody. Yes. That's a good plan. Anyway, and there's a process they go through, you know, you got to go in the woods, you got to search for that tree, you know, God's not going to just send people in, you got to go out and find them, right? Go out and you pick the tree and then you got to cut it from the roots that it's. you got to cut, you got to separate from sin, you know, the roots that we grow up in, you got to die, right? You got to die to be reborn. And so we talked about that a little bit and then you got to drag it out of the woods. If you just cut it and leave it laying there, it's going to rot. So you've got to be separated from the world. So you've got to drag it out. And and then there's that whole process of putting it on the sawmill and cutting the flesh off of it and cutting it into boards. And then you just stick it up somewhere in the barn and let it dry. You know, there's a season of maturing that needs to take place before God can really use you. And then he selects you and then he builds something beautiful out of you. And then I brought a little piece in here if you were here and showed you how that it wasn't quite finished. But we still use it in our home. You don't have to be perfect to be useful. All right. Nobody in here is perfect. God's still working on you. Amen. Amen. You feel God working on you this week? Amen. Now, we talked about the rod. I didn't bring my rod in here with me this morning, but how that the rod represents power and authority in God. And God gave Moses the rod and he used it for all kinds of stuff. He parted the Red Sea with it. Remember, he smote the rock and water ran out. When they fought the Amalekites in the valley of Rephidim, he held it up. Remember, and as long as he would hold it up, they would win the victory. Every time he would let it fall, they would lose. And so uh, Aaron and her helped him hold up his arms and would preach a sermon on that. And today I'm going to talk about another stick. <clears throat> this is a stick that too, too sadly, um, uh, a large group of the people, they picked the wrong stick. You're, you ever played pixie sticks? Uh, well, not pixie sticks, pick up sticks, yeah. that game. You know, you hold a bundle of sticks together and you turn them loose and you yeah. got to pick one stick without moving the other one. If you pick the wrong stick, you lose the game. Amen. Right. Well, they picked the wrong stick. <clears throat> Number 16, if you found your place there, verse one, it says, now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi. Now, what is he talking about? There's a generation here. They're all kin to Levi. All right. With Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben. Now this is Eli and Reuben were brothers. So this is Reuben's grandchildren and this is Eli's grandchildren. All right, there's three of them, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So there's three men in their lineage. Says, these three men, they took men, verse 2, and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Let's pray. Father, we pray God that not only will your, I know your word is anointed this morning, God, your word is always anointed, but Lord, Not only that you anoint your word, but God, you anoint the context of this sermon, Lord. I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to come upon me, Lord, as I preach. Lord, that the words that I say will come straight from your throne, Lord. Anything that I say that is not of you, God, that is in the natural. Lord, I pray that you just make it null and void. Let it fall to the ground and die. But God, every word that is spoken by the inspiration of your spirit, God, I pray that it finds its target, God, and it grows inside of us, Lord. And God, that we will put our faith in your word and your truth, that we will be pleasing in your sight today, God. I pray that this word will go forth now and it will fall on the ears of hearers, God, And, Lord, that we will take that word then and be doers of your word and not just hearers only. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Now, let me ask you something. Whose idea was it to select Moses and make him the leader of the children of Israel? It's God's idea. We see that in Exodus chapter 3. If you remember, he's before the burning bush. In verse 10, it says, Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh. He goes on and says, you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? So we see the humility of Moses. Who am I? Who am I? Why would you pick me to go do this? And he stuttered and he made all kinds of excuses. Verse 12 says, so he said, he meaning God, so he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and, they, and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus, you shall say to the children of Israel, I am I am has sent me to you. So when Moses stood there and he said, look, God sent me. The reason he said that is because God sent him. Amen. But here we're, we're uh, seeing a, a problem. Somebody's got a problem with that. His name is Korah. And when you really narrow this whole thing down, there is one man that has a problem. Korah. And he stirs up a whole bunch of trouble because he's got a problem with Moses. And he goes and gets Datham and Abiram and 250 respected men, leaders of the nation of Israel. And he's basically asking them, well, just who made you the boss? Who put you in charge? just who do you think you are now let's look at the setting here the children of Israel have come out of Egypt they've crossed the Red Sea the sweet water the bitter water was made sweet he took the rod he smoked the rock water has run out they complained about not having food manna has come from heaven and continues to come from heaven the whole time they're in the wilderness They complain that they don't have any meat. So quail is blown in by the wind. They go into battle against the Amalekites and they defeat them. At this point in their history, they have sent the 12 spies. This is later on in their history. They have sent the 12 spies into Egypt. I mean, into uh, Canaan. 10 of the 12 came back and says, oh, there's giants of the land. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And only two of the 10 were right. Joshua and Caleb. All right. And so when this report came back, they started complaining and God says, that's it. I've had it with them. Moses get out of the way. I'm whacking the whole crowd. All right. And Moses goes before God and intercedes for the people. And so God, he, he, He tells God, he says, God, if you bring, if you do this, the heathen nations will say that you brought them out of Egypt, but you couldn't take them into the promised land and they will blaspheme your name. So God, the Bible says he repented, meaning he just changed his mind. And he says, all right, I won't kill them, but not one of them will go into the promised land. Every last one of them will die in the wilderness, except for Caleb and Joshua, the only two that brought back the good report. And so he said, they're not going to go in. So what did they do? They said, well, we'll go in anyway. And so they decided to go up and make war against the Amalekites and the Canaanites. And Moses warned them. He said, God's not going to go with you. The ark is not going to go with you. And I'm not going with you. You better not go. And so these idiots go up there and pick a fight with the Canaanites and the Amalekites. And they basically just got their rear ends whipped. And so they come back, then finally, Moses instructs them, uh, God gives Moses instruction on how they are to sacrifice. So he begins telling them some more instructions from God. And then, here comes Korah. Like, we've had it with you bossing us around. Just who do you think you are? Who put you in charge anyway? Look at verse 3 again. It says, they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, now just take note, it's not just Moses he's got a problem with. He's got Aaron in his targets too, in his his sights. He says, you take too much upon yourselves. Now, who, who is he? What is he doing here? You are doing all this. God's got nothing to do with it. You're doing this. And you take too much on yourself. For all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly? What is he saying? And just remember, they're forgetting all of the miracles that God has done through this man. Forgetting all of that. He is basically saying, who made you the boss? Just who do you think you are? This whole assembly... Is holy. What is he saying? You're not. We're all holy, but you're not holy. The whole assembly is holy. And he says, the Lord is among them. What is he saying? God's not with you. He's with them. He's with us, but he's not with you. Why then do you exalt yourself? God isn't isn't exalting you. You're exalting yourself above the assembly of the Lord. You got to really study to see what is being said here. What he's implying is these are all of God, but you're not. This is the assembly of the Lord. And basically what he's saying is every one of us, we're all against you. And so here you've got Nathan, you've got Korah, uh, Dathan and Abiram, 250 leaders, and the whole congregation against Moses and Aaron. Have you ever felt like you're standing alone? Huh? You ever felt like the whole world's against you? Well, let me tell you something, brother. If God be for you, who can be against you? Right? Me and God is a majority. Amen? Come on, somebody. Now, that's good stuff right there. Well, who is this guy, Korah? Korah is the grandson of Levi. Now, Levi is the Levitical priesthood. Remember, there's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, which were the 12 tribes of Israel. Levi was the priestly tribe. All of them received an inheritance, all 12 of them. Levi actually didn't receive an inheritance because he is to minister to all of the tribes of Israel. All right? And so Korah is actually a Levitical priest. Korah's father and Moses' father were brothers. So, what does that make them? They're first cousins. So, this is a family squabble on top of everything else. <clears throat> Not only that, but he was a chosen minister of God. I mean, this is not just some yokel that came out of nowhere. This is a holy man of God chosen by God to perform the duties of the tabernacle. This is a very highly honored position that this man already has. They were in charge of taking the tabernacle down, setting it back up again, keeping the showbread fresh, keeping the lamps all trimmed and the holy of holies, keeping the incense burning They would take all the offerings when they came in. I mean, he had a very prestigious position among the people already. But he was not content. He was discontented. And this thing was brewing in his heart. And Moses had no idea what was going on inside of this man's heart. Because he was envious. Envy is the enemy of faith and contentment because basically if you're envious of somebody what you're saying is God you don't know what you're doing my faith is not in what you've called me to do my faith is in what I would like to do because I'd like to be doing what they're doing so God you you, I'm not content my faith is not working because I'm not doing what I want to do he was jealous now jealousy is not a bad thing All right. In fact, if you look up at the word jealousy in the Bible, you know who it refers to almost in every case. God. God is a jealous God. Basically, he's just saying, I won't share my wife with you. He said, I'm not going to share my wife with anybody else. I'm a jealous man over my wife. I'm not sharing her with you guys. I mean, come on. (laughs) I don't think any of you guys out there in marriage plan on sharing your wife. All right. Are you jealous? Come on. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. Unless it's an unholy jealousy, an unholy envy, he was ambitious. Now some people say all ambition is bad. I don't believe that. I think you ought to be ambitious. I preached a sermon one time says you got ten seconds to get enthusiastic or get out of my office. Remember that. You need to be enthusiastic about the things of God. But there is an unholy enthu- uh, uh, ambition, and Korah had an unholy ambition. And it led to bitterness, which led to apostasy. Now, the book of Jude talks about this man, and it's actually talking about this particular period in time and this event, along with some other things. And in the book of Jude, in the King James Version, it's called gainsaying of Korah. And actual gainsaying is an attitude of rebellion against the order of God, the things that God has established or, or, and ordained. So he was rebellious against God because he was jealous and envious of what other people had, what Moses had. Not only was he rebellious, but he led other people into his rebellion. The church, it's one thing for me to be upset about something. But it's a whole different thing when I go and get you and you and you and you and, you and bring you along with my disgruntled attitude. And you've seen it in church, you've seen it in your families, you've seen it in your workplace. You get one guy ticked off about something, he can bring the morale of the whole place down, right? Because it spreads like a cancer. And so that's what this guy is doing. And the Bible has some very stern warnings against this kind of thing. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Jude. It's right before the book of Revelation. It's only one chapter long. So Jude chapter one It's the only chapter. Verse three, he says, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning the common salvation, you got to look at the subject here. He's talking about our salvation. I found it necessary to write to you, uh, to ex- exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. In other words, the Bible says we ought to be fighters, right? Contending, that's a contender means fighting, right? Fight for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints that you and I were the saints of God for certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny our only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what was he doing? What was Cora doing? He's denying what God has done, and he's denying the high priest, Aaron, who was a type of Jesus, all right? So we're seeing the same spirit operating in the New Testament church that was operating in Korah. Are you getting this? Verse 5, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, He's talking about this period of time, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. Seven as Sodom and Gomorrah. And the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and going after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him railing accusations, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So what's that talking about? Michael is an archangel. Satan is a fallen angel. But even still, he recognized that this fallen angel even has authority, and he doesn't speak out against that authority. But he says instead, the Lord rebuke you. Now, what exactly they're talking about, and that's a whole different subject, the body of Moses, I don't know, the Bible doesn't specify what that is. But the, the point is, he respected even the fallen angels' authority. Verse 10 But these, talking about these evil men, speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they Corrupt themselves. What was Korah, Datham, Abiram, the 250 uh, leaders and all the congregation doing by withstanding against the authority of God? They're corrupting themselves. They're corrupting themselves. Verse 11, woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Cain and Abel he's talking about. Because Abel brought the offering that was accepted by God, Cain did not. And because of that, he was jealous and he killed his brother. So he says, what are they doing? They're operating in jealousy and envy. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. Balaam was the prophet that actually did hear from God that they they brought in to uh, prophesy against Moses and the children of Israel. And they paid him. In other words, they sold out their gift for money. Church, I'm here to tell you today that I see that happening in the New Testament church today. And so do you. You've seen it for years. All you got to do is turn on Christian TV. I'm not saying they're all bad, but brother, there's a bunch of them in there. It's all about this right here. And some of them actually have an anointing on their life. They're called by God and they sell their gift for the almighty dollar. You say, now that sounds critical and judgmental. I'm just telling you what I see in the natural. The Bible says, try the spirits to see if they be of God or not. One of the gifts of the spirit is the spirit of discernment. Brother, that doesn't look right because it's not right. Are you hearing me, church? And I'm not fussing. I'm not angry or anything, but this is a warning to the church. Then we need to beware of these things, he says. And finally, he says, and they perish in the rebellion of Korah. Korah has an unholy ambition and he rebels against the order of God is what he's doing. And actually Moses, just to show you, he's humble. He loves the Lord. He loves the people. He tries to help this guy. He actually warns him to reconsider. If you're back in number 16, let's look at verse eight. It says, then Moses said to Korah "Hear Now you sons of Levi, is it a small thing to you that, it goes down a list. The God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel. In other words, he's called you out. we separated means he's actually sanctified you. He set you apart from all the rest. Number two, to bring you near to himself. Don't you realize how honored you are, Korah? God has separated you and he brought you to himself. Then he says, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord. He has given you a highly honored position in the church to stand before the congregation to serve them. Look at the privilege you have. He is putting you before all the congregation to serve these people. Then he says it again, and he's brought you near to himself. You and all your brethren, the sons of Levi's with you. Then listen to what he says. And are you seeking the priesthood also? In other words, I've given you a highly honored position. God has called you. He's separated. You. He's given you his honored position. But that's not good enough for you. You want Aaron's job. You want to be the high priest. That's what you're after. That's really what you want. He was discontent. He didn't have any faith that God knows better than him. He's becoming bitter. He's jealous, he's envious, and he's close to the point of being apostate. Then in verse 11, it says, Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. In other words, you're not not against me and you're not against Aaron. You're gathered together against God. And then listen to what he says. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? Now, why did he point that out? You see, Aaron was a type of Christ. He was the high priest. Who is our high priest? The Bible says Jesus Christ is our high priest. And so actually what he's doing is saying, you're complaining against the high priest that God has chosen. You need to stop for a minute and consider who it is that you're attempting to replace. God put him there. I didn't put him there. God put him there and you're attempting to replace him. So really, what this is all pointing out is that Korah represents the rebellious spirit that is in the hearts of men. That's what he represents. Moses represents the humble leader that God has chosen. Moses didn't seek this position. He didn't seek to be in charge. In fact, he tried to get out of it. He saw himself as not measuring up to the mark. So what Korah is really, what this old message is really narrowing down to Korah represents the move in the earth to bring in false religion because he's trying to offer another way to God other than through the God appointed high priest. And that's what this is actually pointing out to. He's trying to say there is another way to God, man's way, my way. God didn't appoint me as the high priest, but I'm going to make myself the high priest. I'm going to replace the true high priest. And this is a spirit that is working today in the world that we live in. Church, the Bible says that you are priests. You and I are priests. We're in the place of Korah, whether you realize it or not. We're all a royal priesthood, but there's only one high priest His name is Jesus Christ, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father interceding for you and I. And you can't replace him with anything or anyone else. And when you attempt to do that, you are operating under the demonic spirit of Korah. Now. Any order that offers another way to worship God or usurps the authority of his chosen leader is birthed from a chorus spirit. And we call it a chorus spirit because we, we tend to in our biblical terms and in our church world, we kind of try to name tag things so we understand it better. John Paul Jones, I don't know if you've heard of him. He wrote a book called unveiling the Jezebel spirit. And in that book, he refers to the Korah spirit, and the Absalom spirit. And he says, they're actually all associated and connected to the same demonic spirit, what he, what we know as, as the Jezebel spirit. They're all related because they all have the same characteristics. It's a demon. It's a demon at work. I'm not saying the man was possessed by a demon, but it attached itself to him, whispered in his ear, lied to him. He believed the lie and he began to act on the lies that he was believing. And this is a serious matter. And, and number 16, the rest of that, chapter 12, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but they, they continue to complain and they, they tell Moses, you've brought us out here to destroy us. And Moses finally had it. He said, I'll tell you what you do. This is what you do. You get a censer, you put fire in it, you put incense on it. And all 250 of you, you go get your censer, you get fire, you put incense on it. You stand in the door of your tent. We'll stand at the door of the the tent, tent of meetings. Me and Aaron, we will get our censer and we will stand there. And the one God chooses, he will choose that day. All right. So they all go get their censers and they show up. They got their censer smoking there. And God said, and Moses says, if Korah dies a natural death, then I'm not called by God. But, If God does a new thing and the earth opens up and swallows him, then you will know that I'm called of God. It says, as he ended speaking, the earth split underneath them. And if you read that, you'll find out that Dathan and Abiram stood there with their sons and their children. In other words, they got their sons and their grandchildren standing there. You know what that tells me? That when people yield to this demonic spirit, and they're deceived by that. Not only do they suffer, but their innocent children follow along and suffer with them. And I have seen this so many times. It just pfft. Innocent people get hurt when this spirit is at work. You say, do you get angry? I, absolutely, I get angry about it. Did Moses get angry? Yes, he did get angry. But you know what? He didn't get angry with the people. He was angry with Korah. But he had compassion on the people because every time, I mean, there was more than one time God says, that's it. I'm killing them all. And every time Moses said, no, God. And and in in that verse that you you finished reading that in in chapter 12 on down, God says, I'm killing all of them. And he says, will one man sin, God and everybody pay the price for it? He recognized Korah's the one to blame. Don't kill all of them. Why Korah? But not all of them. And so the earth opened up, swallowed them up, and the 250 started running, said, lest we be swallowed too, and said, the fire of God came out from God and devoured them. And then, and then God told Moses, tell Aaron to go pick up their censers because the censer was actually holy. And they hammered it and put it on the altar as a reminder to never follow the well, that's a whole other message. I better not get into that. We'll be here all day. I'm telling you, the more I dig in this, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I could preach on this for the rest of the year. There's just so much in here. So now, like, that wasn't bad enough. Here you are. You're the congregation of Israel. You just saw 250 people get toasted. The earth opened up and swallowed Datham, Abiram, all their family, Korah and all his family. What did they do? They come to Moses and Aaron and started complaining again. You have killed the people of the Lord, they said. And God said, That's it. Moses, stand aside. I will kill them all at a moment. Now, just to show you the heart of Moses, Moses turned to Aaron and said, Aaron, quick, get your censer run in, get fire, get incense, put it on there, and go atone for the people. And the Bible says that he ran into the temple. He got his censor, He got the fire off the altar. He put incense on it. And as fast as he could, he ran. It says he stood between the dead and the living. And the plague was stayed. But before he could run into the temple and run between the people, 14,700 people fell dead. But it's not good to take God off. I'm going to tell you right now. It's not good to make God angry. You say, well, pastor, that was the Old Testament. That doesn't apply today. I want you to look in at book of Jude, if you would, please. Because this is a warning, not to the Old Testament. This is a warning to the church. Are you still with me? Say amen. Amen. I'm almost done. I only got 15 pages left to do. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Hey, it's cold outside. We got to let the snow melt anyway before we can go home. Right. What time is it? Oh, my goodness, I've got a long time to preach in. Verse 11, let's read it again. He says, Woe to them, for if they have gone in the way of Cain, they have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and they've perished in the rebellion of Korah. Verse 12 says, These are spots in your love feast. This is to the church. In other words, he's saying they are among you. They're in your love feast while they feast with you. Are they in the new Testament church? Oh yes, absolutely. They feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water carried about by the wind, late autumn trees without fruit. What is it talking about? They look like you're going to get some water out. of. It. How many of you know you got to have water or stuff doesn't grow? Right? If I come in and preach and it, it's all just fluff, but there's nothing to really water your spirit, you're never going to grow. And what he's saying is they got water, but, uh, clouds, but there's no water in them. They're late autumn trees. Remember the tree that Jesus said he saw it and there should have been fruit on it? And when he got up there and there's fruit on it, he cursed it. He said, that's what these are. There should be fruit on them, but there's no fruit on them. He says, they are twice dead, pulled up by the roots. What does that mean? All right, because this is talking about the New Testament church, right? They're twice dead. I told you, you go into the woods and you cut the tree off, right? You got to separate it from the sin that it grew up in the roots. You replant it in Jesus Christ. Now it's dead again. They're twice dead. Pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wondering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly. Among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I would expand on that, but school on 16, these are grumblers, complainers walking according to their own lust and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. What did they do? Oh, all these people, the whole assembly is holy. You're all holy. Doesn't matter if you're all going to hell, but you're holy. Right? Flattery. We're all, the Lord is among them. God is with us. So he's flattering them. Ring, ring, ring. Hello. God just put you on my heart today. You're so special to the Lord. What are they doing? They're flattering you. God has such a great job. He wants you to do blah, blah, blah. Guys in sin, he needs to be rebuked and corrected, but you're just pumping them and flattering them. And you ever seen it? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Flattering people to gain advantage. But you beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles. Of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the capital S-P-I-R-I-T, spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit. So what is he saying? If you follow the ways of Korah, you're going to perish. That's what he's saying. And it is active in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, real quick, I'm going to blitz through this so fast. You, if you blink, you'll miss it. I'm going to give you seven characteristics of this spirit, how you can recognize it. Number one, it always attaches itself to influential spiritual persons. Coral had, had 250 men who were renowned. They were respected leaders. Number two, It draws others into its plot. I say it because I'm talking about a spirit at work in the hearts of men. It draws other people into its plot. It started off in verse 1 and it named all these people. It says, and they took men and he took 250 with him. This thing never operates alone because its goal, like all demons, is to steal, kill, and destroy as many as it can. This is a spirit that is at work in the New Testament church, not to turn your attention to to Jesus, but to turn your attention to me, the demon spirit and draw you away from the things of God to something else. That's the goal of this spirit. Number three, it has no fear of God. Jews said they feast with you without fear you tell them that they're doing something wrong, that the wrath of God is going to judge them. And they don't believe that they have no fear of God. This is also revealed in the way that they showed disrespect towards Moses and Aaron who were appointed by God, accusing them of being unholy and exalting themselves when actually it was God who had exalted them. Number four, they always promote themselves Jude says that they feast with you with fear, serving only themselves. You be careful when people are always praising themselves. When everything they do is all about me. And always giving you a spiritual sales pitch. Number five, they all, they're always divisive. Verse 19 in Jude, it says they are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. See, they divided the whole body. The body was, I don't know that the whole congregation would have turned against Moses. But this one man started this and he pulled 250 people into this. Somebody has been busy. One guy gets ticked off. The next thing you know, there's 250 people (laughs) upset. Two of his cousins, Datham and Nabiram, the sons of Reuben are upset. And then all the, somebody has been on the phone, brother. Are you hearing me, church? Somebody has been on the phone. Well, what do you think about this? Well, they said such and such. And I thought, well, what do you think? Did you think that? I'm telling you that is a demon spirit at work. You need to say, get me behind, get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense unto me. My ear is not a trash can. Don't call me again. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Brother, this is what this is is spiritual mutiny. And friend, there's only two sides to a mutiny. (laughs) Amen. Come on. And Jude is actually saying, I'm warning you, church. If this happens, make sure you're on the right side. Number six, it recruits followers through flattery. You're all holy. The Lord's with you. He's with us. Come on. Proverbs 27 verse 5 says, open rebuke is better than secret love. And faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The kid. Are you hearing this church? Come on, sometimes the best friend you got is the guy to look you right in the eye and tell you things you don't want to hear. Sometimes that's the very best friend you've got. But the guy's always mm, kissy poo and stuff, it's deceitful. And I'm going to tell you something, church. i got just enough flesh in me. I can't stand a two-faced backstabbing troublemaker. It makes me so mad. I want to get in the flesh and do some nasty things. You have to pray for me because that old nature wants to get up and just like, I'm tired of you making trouble. Get a hold of you in Jesus' name. Lay the five-fold ministry on them. You know what I'm saying? Help us, Lord. The last thing is they usurp authority over God himself. It says they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, not, not talking to them, They're saying you take too much on yourself. What are they actually doing? They're saying God didn't have nothing to do with this. In fact, Moses, God told Moses, they're not fighting with you, Moses. They're attacking me. Cause this is a battle in the spirit realm between a demon spirit and the order of God, it's happened. It's been going on since the beginning of time. See, Korah didn't have a beef with Moses, the way he's running things, or Aaron. It's a demon spirit between, the, in, the, in the realm of the spirit, between the demons and God. I'm hearing a noise somewhere. What is that? Oh. He standeth at the door and knock. The truth. As this spirit will slowly and without notice introduce false doctrine. Because church, I like the way this one preacher put it. You better get this rifle barrel straight. There's only one way to God. And that is through the only high priest, Jesus Christ. There is no other way to God. But this spirit has been successful in sinking its teeth into millions and millions of people. Right now, Islam is one of the fastest-growing religions in the world. Did you know that? Because they say there's another way to, to, to inherit eternal life and the kingdom of God. They don't just replace Jesus. They replace God himself with the moon god, Allah. And the way you get there is through Muhammad the prophet. And they'll even use deceitful words to try to convince Christians that we're kind of like you. We believe Jesus was a good prophet. That is a two-faced, double barrel lie. Oh, you think he's a good prophet, do you? Well, if that's true, then you would be a Christian. Because if he's a good prophet, you're going to follow his teachings. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You don't do that, so therefore you must think he is a liar. And if he is a liar, he is not a good prophet. We need to see through this charade, church. There's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. You don't get there through Joseph Smith. Contrary to some people's popular belief, Joseph Smith is not seated on the right hand of the Father, who also said that Jesus wasn't God. He was, him and Lucifer were brothers. And teach that God was once a man. Now, can you as God it says, man is now God once was and as God is now man may someday hope to be if you're a really 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 good Mormon you'll become a God boy where have I heard that before sound like what the serpent told Eve in the garden you want to be like God just do what I tell you do this and do that and you'll be like God Church, I'm telling you, it's, it's, this spirit has been at work a long, long, long time. Another group out there says, all hopes of going to God is out of the question anyway. There's only 144,000 going to make it. The rest of us, the best we can hope for is to be in the kingdom here on earth. I'm like, I, John, saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I saw Jerusalem come down from heaven. And it says there was no more sea, meaning there's no more separation. Heaven and earth, the whole kingdom's all going to be one place. What are you talking about? They go on to say that Jesus is not God. He is one of many gods. And if you want to please Jehovah, here's what you do. Spend lots of money and buy our tracks and hand out as many as you can. Try to convert as many as you can to buy more of our tracks. While we're getting filthy rich over here, and if you sell a bunch of them, maybe, just maybe, Jehovah will let you be a part of his kingdom. And millions and millions and millions of people buy into these lies. And it is a spirit of Korah. Is it at work today? Is it at work today? Absolutely it's at work today. And church, there is only one way through Jesus Christ. And we need to know that. You don't get there through Joseph Smith or Brigham Young or Mohammed. You don't get there through Charles Taze Russell, Ellen White, Herbert Armstrong, the Pope, St. Mary, St. Jude, St. Francis, St. Nicholas, or the Easter Bunny. You get there through Jesus Christ. And we need to contend for the faith. It's creeping into the church today, the Church that's really got it right through this whole unity movement. Just leave your doctrine at the door. We, we don't talk about doctrine. Just come on in here. We're just going to all love on each other. We're just going to have a good time because salvation is universal. Everybody's going to get saved anyway. Nobody's going to hell. We're all going to get saved. It's all unconditional. You don't have to do anything. Just come to our church and let's party. The seeker-friendly churches. Oh, don't correct anybody. Let's just all love each other. Live and let live. Don't talk, shh, don't talk about sin. Don't talk about hell. We don't talk about that stuff here. Let's flatter them. Let's tell them you're all holy. Oh, God's got put this smile on your face. God's got a plan for you. Oh, he's going to do you good. And, and lull people to sleep in their sin. What did God tell Timothy through Paul? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I charge thee before God and our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead. Who is that? If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he will quicken your mortal body. He's talking about the Christians. God is going to judge the Christians and those who are dead in their sin at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove them. Rebuke them. And exhort them with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, the crowd that is following Korah, after their own lust, shall they heap to themselves teachers the chorus spirit having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables brother I've seen that spirit has been at work I've seen it my whole life I've had it come in here oh well pastor you ought to preach more on love you ought to preach more on grace you ought to preach more on tolerance Let me tell you something. The most loving and gracious thing that I can do or you can do is tell people the uncompromised truth of God's word. And as far as tolerance, Christianity is the most intolerant religion on earth. Because Jesus and God are the most intolerant spiritual beings that's ever existed. God does not tolerate sin church because of sin. His judgment came on. It cursed the serpent. It cursed the man and it cursed the very earth. He doesn't tolerate sin. He hates sin. Now, just in closing, I'm not talking about being a Pharisee and I'm not talking about legalism and being judgmental. We just love people. We we love people. And you know, I mean, I'm dropping the hammer today, I know, but you know me. What do I say about homosexual people? I love homosexual people. I don't approve of what they do. But we've had people come into this congregation. If you knew what they were involved with, you'd be like, oh, my Lord. But what do we do? Come on in and have a seat. Where should they be? What are you going to do if a stripper pole dancer comes into your congregation? Hopefully they got their clothes on. (laughs) If they don't, we'll get them a modesty garment, but they're coming in. Amen. Where else should they be? Behave yourself back there, (laughs) no. Where else should they be? Sitting under the word of God, Jeannie's getting ready to work out at the plan. I told her I'm I'm getting her ready. I'm like, honey, she's gonna work an outage out there. I'm excited. She is excited too, you know, because this is the whole mission field, man. And you know her; she she goes to Walmart just to talk to people about Jesus. Now she'll hunt them down. Some of you, you ever been to the thrift store with her? Just go sometimes. I mean, God will just move, and some of the stuff that she's done, it just amazes me, you know. And I told her, I said, babe, I'm, I'm just kind of letting you know, you're going to hear some language out there that you probably hadn't heard since the family reunion, you know. <laughs> her family reunion. <laughs> 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 Only you're going to hear a lot of it, you know. I said, but honey, don't try to correct them. You don't need to correct them. Just love them. Just love them. All right. Our greatest witness shouldn't be what we say should be what we do. All right. The Bible says that you're an epistle read by all men. They're reading the pages of your life and what you do every day, the way you react. When they come up, sometimes they'll come up and they'll start dropping them boy F-bombs and stuff just to see what you're going to do, how you're going to react to that. Because they're trying to get you to, especially if they know you're a Christian, because you're convicting to them, just get away from me. I don't want you around me, so I'm going to really cuss really good so it'll offend you and you're going to leave me alone. What messes them up is when you don't let that bother you at all. That's right. You just go on and love them anyway. That's right. You know, you don't laugh at their dirty jokes and you don't go along with it, but you love on them. So I'm not talking about being harsh and mean and cruel and judgmental. I'm talking about loving people, but you got to contend for the faith, church. You say, well, pastor, what makes us so right? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm willing to take my center and stand in the door of the tent and let God choose. All right, I'll stand there with the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and the Muslims, and all that. I'll stand there with my center. We'll see who the earth opens up under and and catches them. Yeah, I'll stand there. You say, well, can they all be wrong? Well, 10 out of the 12 were. How many was wrong in the days of Noah? Huh? What does the Bible say? As it was in the days of Noah. So shall it be in the days of the coming of the son of man. Do we believe we're right? Absolutely. I believe I'm right. Would I stand at the door of the tent with my censor? Yes, sir. And let God choose. And if I'm wrong, I'll go down the pit believing I'm right. I'm deceived then, I guess. But, Amen. That's part one. You say, well, what about the sticks? I thought we were going to talk about picking the wrong stick. <laughs> That's part two. You got to come back next week for that. I'll get there. I told you I was going to get there today, but I said, no way. I'll get all this done in one sermon. Why don't you stand to your feet if you would, please? Hallelujah. Lord, any one of us is subject to being influenced by a demonic spirit. Lord, we, he's constantly trying to distort your truth, speak lies to our thinking, Lord. Make us doubt our faith, God. Sometimes he'll cause people to be jealous and envious, discontent. But, Lord, your faith, the faith that we have in you, simply trust that, God, what you are doing in my life is what you want done in my life. And I need to be good with that. I need to be okay with that, God. Because, Lord, we are all uh, part of the royal priesthood, Lord. And you have something specific I know for each person to do. And God, whatever that is, Lord, help us to be faithful to do it, to contend for the faith in it, Lord, and and to be content with that, God, and not be envious of one another and jealous of one another and uh, start criticizing one another, Lord. And Lord, if, if we see that kind of thing going on, Father, in the body of Christ, Lord, may we make sure that we... Uh, do like Moses did father every time God each time he was confronted with these situations the Bible says that he fell on his face he fell on his face Lord a lot of times we want to run in and try to fix things and we want to try to deal with the arm of the flesh Lord but I I like the word that Pastor Joel had this morning Lord You've rolled up your sleeve and you've made your arm bare. God, we don't have to do your fighting for you. You can fight these battles without us, Lord. And so all we need to do, God, is do like Moses, Lord, and just fall on our face, God. Do like Aaron, Lord. Just intercede, go. Go between the living and the dead, God. And we do that through our prayer life, God, through our intercession, Lord, through calling out those names on both sides of this this great battle, God, between the spirits. And, Lord, we see people that's in the grip of this kind of spirit, Lord. We pray for them, God, that you would open their eyes, God, before it's too late. Save their soul, O God, because the book of Jude makes it very clear, Lord, that there's not a very bright future for them, Lord, but they will be in utter darkness forever. And so Lord, we pray for those that would yield to that kind of thing, Lord. God, you know that in my own ministry, Lord, and in the ministry of my Father, uh, God, I have seen this thing rear its head many times in the body of Christ, and many people get hurt, Lord. Kor's sons, many of them died with not all, but many of them died with him, God. some of his grandchildren died with them. Dathan's sons and grandchildren uh, um, God, the the 250 leaders all died. A lot of innocent people get hurt, God, when this kind of thing happens. So, Lord, we just intercede, Lord, and we fall on our face, Father. And we ask, oh, God, this morning that you protect those, um, God, who are innocent in all of this, Father. Keep us close to your heart, Jesus. So that we know Your voice, Lord. We know Your leading. We love You, Jesus. We commit our life to You, Father. I've kind of thrown some stones this morning at Islam and the Mormon Church and Jehovah Witnesses and United Church of God and a lot of different. And God, I'm not here to be critical. But, Lord, I see the error in that and the people that are being led astray, God, in that. And I pray, God, that their eyes will be opened, Father. That's possible, Lord. I know with Herbert Armstrong, God, his own son, Garner Ted Armstrong, came out from that pagan religion and repented and said that his father was wrong and he was wrong and he repented. So, God, I know that can happen. And I pray, God, that will happen I'll. God, it's just a large movement, Lord. A lot of Muslims are coming to you, God. We, we are supporting missionaries that are going into the, behind the curtains and ministering to people in the world of Islam. And so, Father, we pray. we're not here to criticize God and to throw stones, Lord. We intercede for them, Father. But at the same time, God, may we know the truth, Lord, and may we contend for that truth, Lord. I think there's too many people that are being silent about these things today. Father, there's one reason that it's growing, is people don't know that it's wrong. Because no one is standing up and saying and showing how that it is wrong. So, Father, help your people, Lord, today to be bold, to be strong in you. Father, if there's a single person here this morning, God, and they're just dabbling around with sin and like pastor joel said we we need to not touch the unclean thing come away from it god so i pray for those this morning lord that their heart may not be right with you god that they would repent today lord and turn back to you father if there's one person that does not know you i pray god that they would just be saved today god they would trust in jesus as their personal savior today in jesus name now, Father, as we leave this place, Lord, we pray that the roads will be clear, God. Everybody have a safe drive home. Father, I pray your blessing over every single family here today, God. Bless their home. Father, I pray that it will be a refuge, oh God, an escape from the world, Lord, a place where you are honored, a place where your Holy Spirit is welcome, Lord. Strengthen and restore families, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral, Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at centralvag.org or call 804-514-2413. We would love to hear from you. God bless.